You know, sometimes you should just keep ideas to yourself. Radio Drome. Welcome to another episode of Radio Drome. I'm Josh Hadley, blah, blah, blah. With me, as always, is the robot himself, the Cecil. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. And the biggest blah, blah, blah is the Canadian Peter. Wah, blah, 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 blah. And what you guys need to do, help out the show, besides the Patreon, we ask you to go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, to get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, just for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Let's talk about sequels and prequels and how they affect the original film. For this discussion, we have to look at what sequels are supposed to be. A sequel or a prequel is supposed to be in continuity with the original movie. It's supposed to be an ongoing story. So we don't get to go, well, I choose that terrible sequel. That doesn't count. This is continuity-based franchises. Things like Halloween 3, that actually doesn't count because it was never supposed to link to the others as the rest of the Halloween. Halloween movies do. You know, the curse movies, the extra movies, those all are under the same banner, but they were never meant to be part of the same continuity. So what we're talking about is sequels and prequels that are meant to be part of the continuity of whatever the original film is. Do they make it worse or do they make it better sometimes? Can you think of an example of a sequel or a prequel that absolutely wrecks the original film? The examples I'm going to make are not necessarily where they wreck it or make it better, but they're definitely strange decisions or at the last minute they change an actor. Um, it's something that you very much notice in like movies like, like franchises like Phantasm where you have a, a particular actor playing the, playing the kid in the first movie, then they change him in the second one. Then all of a sudden for the third movie, they switch him back and, but they reshoot the ending where it was played by a, a, another actor before that, which, which can be a little confusing and a little weird, especially if you, if you got used to somebody playing that role and then that that kind of mucks things up and, and makes the continuity a little bit weird. Sometimes they'll they'll retcon minor things like from the previous movie too that that makes it a makes it a little bit weird. Like a character that clearly clearly was meant to die, but they they find a way to to make him like live or whatever. And this is so many so many movies have done this where they've they've switched out the actor. Obviously, this is something that was um really not a great. Great choice with uh, RoboCop 3 with Robert Burke, or what was his name? The guy, was it Robert Burke? Robert John Burke, yes. Robert John Burke, yeah. That that can make it, to me, even since I was a kid, like I, I found it weird that somebody would play the titular character for two films and then all of a sudden they, they switch it out and not only that, but it's it's PG now, which I've, I found was definitely added added to the, the detriment that is RoboCop 3. Minor things like that can, can even be weird and, and kind of screw with the, the continuity, at least the continuity of like your mind, the way you perceive the character at first and then they, they pull that switch on you. I'll open with that for now and then we'll, we'll delve into other stuff. 
my whole thing is I I like a good sequel that not necessarily destroys the original because you wouldn't have the sequel if not for the original. But I like one that will expand upon the ideas uh, that were started with the original and then they take in a step further in the sequel. Something like, uh, you know, Aliens to Alien. Alien is the creepy, claustrophobic on a spaceship, you know, fighting you know one alien versus a crew. Whereas the second one, it's the Marines and they're fighting, you know, a whole planet. Planet full. It's it just uh, it ups the ante. It makes it more of an action movie, and it expands upon it. It introduced the Queen. It did all kinds of stuff. Similar thing to Terminator and Terminator Two. It expanded the story, and same thing with Phantasm Two. Phantasm Two expanded the story that was started. Did a very good job of it too. I think the second one might be my favorite in that series. Oh, absolutely, Phantasm. Like I love the original, but Phantasm Two is really the best of the series. I mean, it did the same thing that uh, like Alien and. Aliens did, where, you know, the first Phantasm is kind of moody, it's a bit slower, definitely banks more on, like, atmosphere, and two kind of expands it with more of an action kind of feel. And I, I even liked the actor they got to play the the older version of the kid, so I, I found it really jarring when they switched it back in the third one. Well, I mean, when they switched back to the third one, it was really, a, a you know, an actor issue and a monetary issue, and well, it's just... it was, well, it's a little more complicated, because Michael Baldwin, the original actor, was a friend of Don Coscarelli and he wanted Baldwin for two but Universal mm. wanted a more recognizable actor so they hired James LeGros who I think did mm. a much better job because James LeGros is an actual actor when Coscarelli because Universal only made part two when he got the rights back and was able to start making sequels on his own they're low budget again his very first thing was I'm going back to Michael Baldwin because Michael's my friend he doesn't mm. he, he couldn't get it through his head even when fans would tell him this for years LeGros was a better actor and he's like no this role is written for michael but michael's a terrible actor it's michael's role michael's my friend so he's not even a terrible not even a terrible actor it's just weird when you get used to someone else you know playing that version of the character and then they reshoot the ending with another actor but okay he's not a terrible actor but in comparison to james legros there's no comparison he he uh, he did not bring the same level of of gravity for sure. Like it, it's it's night and day. Like the the later sequels definitely feel quite a bit lesser than the than the second film does. Cecil, you brought up Alien. I was going to bring up Alien for a different reason, but let's talk about Alien to Aliens. Now I love both those movies. You already start to see a, a weird degradation there. In Alien, the creature is sleek. It's intelligent, understands how to trap these people. It knows what they're doing. Aliens and all the subsequent sequels made them into big giant bugs that can't really think for themselves. Hmm. And I think that is a degradation as the sequels go on. And I I do know H.R. Giger was very mad about that, too. He was very vocal in one of his books because he had this alien as possibly being smarter than the humans, just not Hmm. understanding their their technology and their world. And then James Cameron just turned him into giant bugs. Well, and I also, I think the ones in Aliens are probably like, I'm sure there's different breeds of them. And these were more like kind of like more like army drone kind of things. Like they're meant to, to 
have worked better in numbers rather than individually. They also seem yeah. really easy to kill in Aliens. Yeah, well, they, they get, well, they they get they blown were, apart very easily. Well, they were Marines using high-powered military equipment versus a bunch of people, you know, a bunch, a bunch of uh, basically space truckers that were fighting it with whatever they had on hand. With so really that's shitty flamethrowers. With, yeah, with really shitty flamethrowers and whatever uh, they could come up with, you know, slap together. So I think that really makes sense. I look at it more, I mean, I read a bunch of the, the Dark Horse graphic novels and whatnot, and they did a very good job of kind of explaining when you had a queen and you had the aliens, and there were different breeds of them, like lots of different kinds. You had like the hive that was there to serve and protect the queen. But when you had one of them that was separated from the hive, it could work on its own and it could become a queen. But again, that's retconning. That's trying to make things fit where they didn't originally fit. Well, that's, that's not necessarily point. retconning because they never really explained anything, any of that in the first one. Well, so yeah. it'd be one thing if they explained it and then it was like, and then the second one went against it. In the first one, it was they ran into this thing. They did everything they could to survive. And, you know, everybody died except for Ripley. It wasn't really retconning because there was never anything established to begin with. It is retconning because they were trying to make aliens fit with alien, which is the same thing we've got with Prometheus and Covenant. Again, remember what I said at the beginning of this episode. Covenant and Prometheus are meant to be part of this continuity. We can't just choose to go, I don't think that's that's in continuity. So we have to look at... Now, David created the aliens, and they're not which natural. And which, oh no, yeah, <laughs> it's stupid. It's Alien Covenant, Prometheus, not as much, but Alien Covenant absolutely wrecks Alien. It destroys that movie. What, what year does Covenant take place? Like two thousand thirty something. Covenant takes place about, I think it's eighty years before Alien, and yet in Alien. Not only had the ship been crashed for so long that the pilot was fossilized, which means tens of thousands of years, but the signal had been, the, the warning signal had been traveling through space for centuries. Yeah, which goes to show that that, that parasitic creature, the alien xenomorph, whatever it is, has existed for a long time. That and it's canonically linked with Predator. When you have a sequel or a prequel, that ruins the original. And that's what Covenant does. In the Covenant, case of Coven Covenant and a bit of Prometheus, like mostly Covenant, because then they really, really delve into it. That one does absolutely crap all over the continuity because, I mean, we have to factor in that Ridley Scott is basically on the idea that this is a shared universe they are predator and alien are canonically linked they're they're canonically linked thanks to thanks to predator 2 and that series continued on every predator film is linked it's it's linked because of the dark horse comics as well so that is literally the arrogance of ridley scott going no actually it was here but but no it wasn't sorry ridley but the avp movies exist predator 2 exists comics exist it, it, it's at that point that he literally started retconning everything to fit his own new continuity which i don't know i i hate it when when filmmakers do that and on top you can't have these two separate continuities 
And on top of that, the whole concept, like he really was ride or die on David. Everybody's going to go. And it's like, no, it's a terrible idea. It really is. It's just no one liked it except for him. And Mm. I normally like 99% of the time I am with the director. But when you've got a long running franchise like that and you're changing a fundamental aspect of it decades later then it's like, all right, maybe you're being the asshole here. I think at this point, it's it's pretty known that Ridley Scott is insane with how many different versions of Blade Runner there are with, like, slightly different narratives to each one. But see, the, the reason I wanted to bring this up is, and I'm not going to go into a lot of plot details about Captain Marvel. I'm going to leave all the identity politics and everything aside. The fact that Captain Marvel is the first true prequel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is a huge problem. It creates... A lot of continuity issues with Nick Fury, with S.H.I.E.L.D., with the fact that... Now, I haven't seen Avengers in a long time, but wasn't Nick Fury kind of shocked that aliens existed? He was, when they invaded yeah, he New was York? shocked. He was shocked they didn't have they didn't have any anti-alien tech, which you'd think they'd have if he fought the Skrulls in 1995. Exactly. <laughs> now Captain Marvel sets up. He not only knows aliens exist, but remember he talked to Stark at the in the very first post-credit scene about you have now entered into a much larger world. This is the beginning of superheroes. Now it turns out, oh yeah, two decades ago, I knew for a fact superheroes existed, aliens existed, and all this stuff. Captain Mm -hmm. Marvel the movie, as a prequel, creates monstrous continuity problems. Mm -hmm. This was a mistake. That's because it's it's kind of a uh, a soft reboot of the whole MCU. Like, they're trying to bring in now new characters, and so they're slowly but surely phasing out the other stuff. Not as, I think, not as subtle as a way as they'd like it to be, because I think a lot of people are noticing the massive gaping holes in the continuity. They, one of the ads was meet the new captain, or no, the new and improved captain. Does it really say new and improved? All right. That's an insult to Chris Evans. That's an insult to Chris Evans. You know, it's like, hey, he's he's kind of, but I mean, but I know not to get into all that, but, but I mean, I think that it's a, a major problem because I haven't seen it yet, but I am going off of the people who have seen it. So if I am wrong, I apologize. But from the people who have said, and this is stuff that I've kind of gleaned too from, from reading about it and whatnot. This factors into what we're talking about. They have her geared up. Like she's basically the Hail Mary pass. Oh my God. Uh, we're in a really big bad jam, like jam here. So we need to call in captain marvel oh she is super overpowered by the end of this but but what i mean is that okay so when the aliens were coming in in the avengers that wasn't kind of a time when you might want to call you know i guess it's it's really oh the world is going to end is the only time when it's okay to call her in so every so in the next However many movies, she's signed on for seven movies. So in the next seven movies she's in, it's going to be extinction level events. I guess, yeah. What about something like Halloween? Now, again, we're leaving Halloween 3 out because it was never meant to be in continuity, but the constant retconning. Michael Myers gets killed at the end of 2. He gets blown up, and so does so does Donald Pleasance. Oh, wait, no. See, this is what the, I didn't want to bring this up at the very beginning of the episode. Because <laughs> but but okay, now it turns Halloween, out Donald, Pl- Donald Pleasance is just a little a, burned. Michael! Halloween as a series, as a franchise in itself, has become a choose-your-own-adventure book. 
there's the original film continuity, which has its own basically three continuities. I'm pretty sure you can start with Halloween two, which will bring you all the way to six, or you can start with just the first Halloween, which brings you all the way to H2O and resurrection, or you can do the first Halloween, which brings you all the way to just Halloween 2019. So there's three different multiverses here to, to, to deal with the Halloween movies. And what they did, and I, I enjoy four. I actually really like Halloween I like four, four a lot. I, I like don't mind five. I can tolerate six. I think visually it, uh, six is a very slick movie. And it's it's entertaining. I enjoy it, even though like I hate the whole thorn cult thing. I think that's stupid as shit. But with that one, with four, that re- they were really, really pushing the envelope by saying that the only thing that happened after Dr. Loomis blew them up in like a room full of what was in there, like like pressurized containers and gas. There was like a gas leak, basically. So they the were whole insane. place exploded. It all blew up. Like and and Loomis was right behind the thing that exploded too. So he would have been ripped to shreds, like dead, completely dead. Probably wouldn't have a head anymore. Arms. Plus, Michael off, had like both just, his eyes poked out by that point. He had both his eyes poked out, and he got blown up, and he burned to death. So for them to say in Halloween Four that all they have is like some burn marks on their hands, and 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 Loomis has that little thing on his face and it's, sure it's it's a pretty grisly looking burn mark sure why not but that really is retconning like these are characters that were definitively dead by the end of the second film and it's it's obvious that it's it's a studio thing it's you know the halloween 3 didn't perform very well so they were like no we need to continue michael myers we need to bring him back after two he lived you know in slasher movies they always come back and and so we created that continuity but then that that got stale so it's like okay h2o the first one happened but none of the other ones happened so we'll continue that and they did resurrection and resurrection was absolutely god off so it's like okay, well now we got to. Oh, and there's also the remake. <laughs> the, the, the yeah, remake the Rob Zombie ones. Yeah, there's the Zombie Verse as well, and those didn't do very well. So they had to do another soft reboot. It's like okay, let's do H2O again, but this time it's 40 years later. The first one definitely happened. None of the other ones happened. Here's Michael Myers in 2019. Ridiculous, but almost kind of interesting in its own way because it really is like one of those choose your own adventures from the 90s. Like where where will Michael Myers go? You can just skip Michael Myers entirely and watch. Halloween 3 like it's it's kind of amazing in its ineptitude yeah I think it's it's just a mess um, because every time they were either trying to fix things or the new director was trying to insert his version of events probably the worst as far as bringing him back was uh, you know you had H2O which was the definitive ending you know she decapitates him and it's like she didn't but she didn't. But she it didn't. was really, su- it was a guy who was in the ambulance with yeah. Michael Meyer, and it's like, oh my god. He crushes that- his like, uh, he crushes his like larynx or something, and then he puts him in, the in his own costume, and then he escapes as a paramedic. Michael Myers, who, who were, were led to believe was in a, in a horrible hospital fire and is horribly scarred. Wait, in, in the H2O continuity, did Halloween 2 happen? No. Uh, well, no. no, it was just the no. first one, right? Yeah. It went, it went Halloween and then 20 years later. Okay. So, so this, yeah. so this, this guy who doesn't look like any of the paramedics, this like 40 year old man, you who know, just happens out. to be yeah, Michael Myers' body type and size. Exactly. Is he, he in our union? Is he on the payroll? Like nobody questions anything. Yeah. But that was horrible. That was easily one of the worst things I think in that's, that almost goes, that almost is akin to like the old serials that, that, that they made that like, um, Kathy Bates is ranting about in misery. He wasn't it's in like, the cock-a-duty play. 
<laughs> exactly. And, 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 and none of that even brings up the whole Thorn cult because now we've had someone pulling Michael's strings in all the movies. Oh, God. Just, okay. String. Okay, we're moving on. Because there's other things we can talk about, like yeah, the, well, we're, this the, is not going to be Halloween messes rings. of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Oh my god! Oh, yeah, the, one. I think I think the only thing worse than than the, the Texas Chainsaw like continuities is probably I think Halloween is probably the worst. It's, but Texas it's Chainsaw is Halloween the, in a way is almost a bit better because I think at least in in Halloween they will give some leeway and allow a story to continue with like a few sequels where it seems like. With Texas Chainsaw Massacre, at least in some of the, the earlier films before like the remakes and the prequels, and those were very quick as well, is they would make a movie and then decide, no, I don't really like that. Let's redo this. Let's get rid of that character. But it's like almost restarting it. Almost every Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie, besides maybe the second one, which clearly does bring back original characters and establishes that the first one had happened. And then the third one, basically feels like a reboot. Next Generation basically mm-hmm. feels like a reboot. Then obviously you have the actual reboot and then a prequel to that reboot. But then they didn't really like that one. So they made another one that's meant to be a direct sequel to the first one. But they have cell phones, yet it takes place in the 80s. And then they decided to make another prequel where he's a little boy that wears a pig mask. Like that fucking series is, in my opinion, a bigger mess than Halloween because they never let any of the stories from the previous film they let it bleed over a little bit, but they would decide, no, actually, this is the real second film. No, this one is. No, actually, this one is. No, this remake is. But it has a pre- – it's like it's a re- story with the with the Sawyer family and with Leatherface as in, in himself as a character is very intriguing. But they never allowed themselves to really expand on, on everything. And I honestly really like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. But that doesn't fit with one or two at all. It's supposed to fit with one, but it says two never happened, so. But yeah, and even that one, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, who, who are these other family members? Are these also Sawyers? Is, is it still Baba Sawyer? Is that his name? What, ha- what happened to the, to the barbecue shop and stuff like that? It's like, it really feels more like, like a soft reboot. And then that's definitely what Next Generation was. That was definitely meant to be like either a direct sequel to the first one or a, a complete remake entirely. But they still counted it as like, as like a sequel, which is so much, there's so much confusion. And they try to, and those text crawls at the beginning of the movie, when they have the text crawl, they're like, in the afternoon of August 1970, whatever. It's like every time it gets more and more confusing. It's like you think it's going to try to explain a bit from the first or second one, but then they, they will add things, take things away. They'll make up characters. They'll make up different surnames. You'd think that'd be a way to tie things in. But no, they're literally doing it like it's a remake, establishing a whole new story by sprinkling in a few names. But really, it really is just it's a redo. It's just another yep. another redo atop of the last redo. Well, but then you have something like even though there's only two films in the franchise, not counting the fact that, you know, there was an original film that the second one's a remake of is like the thing. The Thing 2011, try as Cecil and other people might, does not fit with the original. No, it, it doesn't. It, it retcons a lot of the things that happen in the original besides copying them straight out. Like, okay, so then why in the original do, aren't fillings and things left behind? And why in the original do we see the Norwegians using thermite to extract the saucer? But then that never happens in the prequel. It's the saucer's extracted when the engines get turned on. And why in the original, when they go to the saucer, her snowcat that she leaves there, because remember they take two of them at the end of the prequel there, and she takes 
one to this never-before-mentioned Russian base that mm. she's going to try and make it to. There's a snowcat left there, which isn't there the next day when McCready and his crew come in, and you just go, the thing prequel, it doesn't fit. Stop it. You're just making this worse. No, it's, it's clear. It's very evident that the events, the events that happened before the Carpenter version, they're all dead. All the Norwegians are dead. That's very, very cut and dry. The only ones that are left are the ones that are in the hospital trying to hunt down the dogs. The where, helicopter. where were they in the prequel? Where the f*** was that helicopter? That has actually explained. That Is was it? refueling and it was coming back. Yeah, that part's actually explained fine. I don't have a problem with that. Oh, also the fact that when we see the exterior, even though it's all burnt down of the Norwegian camp in the 1982 version, it's way smaller than the Norwegian <laughs> camp in the in the remake remake make equal the the pre-make whatever you want to call it well, they try i know to cecil make it loves this like movie one, and i don't get it they try to make it more like the compound in the first film which is like like uh the, the carpenter one with mccready and everybody that one is a lot bigger than the norwegian one that we see so i think they tried to mimic it they tried to be like oh well it's it's, it's uh the same size as the first no but we saw it we saw it at the beginning of the film it's like it's it's very small there's only like a couple rooms it's a lot smaller in comparison to the to the american compound really a really bad attempt at uh at retconning for sure and i i think they they had a bit of an agenda with that one too maybe they did maybe they didn't i feel like they did because they saw the carpenter version had no women in it so they had to add one for the prequel essentially a lot of the uh, some problems would not be addressed but there were a lot of alterations that the studio made with the theatrical cut versus what the director originally intended they covered Mm -hmm. up a lot of things they altered some timelines they changed things here and there and i think if we ever were to get the complete director's cut released maybe one day because it does exist they did do, you know, a print that they had presented. And then there was the, the one, uh, producer who came on board much way later into the production. He was the one who wanted to make a name for himself. And so he was the one that wanted to change things because it looked too much like this happened in the eighties. So that's why they had to change everything up with, uh, all kinds of CG and stuff. Even so, though and, that's what they approved originally that they were going to make a very eighties like movie. Oh yeah. And what yeah, was yeah. It was like last second they decided to, to like change a bunch of, a bunch of things in post if if memory because it's been a couple years since i've done the video but i believe they were they were getting close to release and they had to delay it for like six months so that they could do the changes and add in the cg and everything and that's why a lot of the cg looks unfinished because it was like yeah. you can't you can't do that kind of stuff in six months. I mean that's stuff you got to plan ahead of you know way ahead of time. So that's why a lot of it is doesn't look quite as good as it should. And they yeah. added in a lot of like things that were blo- like they blocked out the entire pilot, the block uh, animation. They they changed the ending dramatically, uh, where it was the whole thing about how the alien escaped off of the ship, and there was a lot of things that they changed. So I think that if we ever did get the complete version, it's going to be a lot closer. I mean, yes, there's going to be some differences, but I think it would clear up a lot of problems that people had. And I would very much be interested to see it because I did not like the version they put out. 
And and honestly, after listening to the director talking about his want to add in Mary Elizabeth Winstead for the sequel, there was we're, this is back in 2011. This is before all not to getting political, but this is before all this agenda pushing nonsense. So really, it was just a matter of, hey, you know what? I just I feel that she's right for this role. It mm. wasn't, hey, we need to put a woman into this. It was, hey, I think that she would be really good in this. And that's, that's really fair. all that came from. The thing with the the thing and the thing is the retconning. And that's usually mainly what we're talking about here. Not not always, but like look at the Howling to Howling 2. The ending of the Howling has her transforming on national television to a live audience. And we specifically see reactions from people all over the place watching her turn into a werewolf on live television. Some believe it, some don't. There are some funny moments with that. And then Howling 2 starts with, the last five minutes of that movie didn't happen. Here's what really happened. It was it was not live. It was taped. They destroyed it. It's a cover-up. I've got the, oh, f*** off. That's the kind of crap that I am sick of with sequels. What you saw in the last movie, that's not what actually happened. Even though I love I love Howling 2, it's the, it's the ultimate Red Brown movie. Doesn't get much better than that. They, yeah, I get annoyed with that too, where it's like, if you try to do a marathon, it's like, hey, I'm going to watch these movies in order. It's like, wait a minute. I just saw that and that's not how that happened. So, <laughs> or that... Cecil, I, I, I know you'll, you'll know this one. Scanners 2. So <laughs> Scanners 2, they get exposed at the end of Scanners 2. The world now knows Scanners exist because they exposed on national TV again. And then Scanners 3, they're sort of, you know, you know, people don't know Scanners exist, but they're like this talked about thing. And, and then it's like, and then Scanner Cop, it's like now every, now nobody knows about Scanners. Scanners again, and then Scanner Cop 2, everyone knows about Scanners, and they're a common thing, and you're like, alright, my fucking head's gonna explode trying to keep this continuity straight. <laughs> yeah, they just, I, I'm, it's, you just it's have a to problem. Pick. Cecil, you have to pick. Do, do, does the public know about Scanners or not? Every other movie seems to change this. Well, that's the problem with not having a consistent vision. When you have, I mean, mean, even even mid-movies where or series where they have a consistent vision, things still get altered because you have each individual person who comes in who wants to helm it and kind of make it go in their direction. And what you need to have producer in charge who's who is there to say, you know, steer the ship. Okay, look, you can add in this, this, and this, but this needs to stay on track or we need to keep this or we need to have this consistent. But a lot of times they're just with, especially with the lower budgeted films, like the, the scanner sequels, it was, well, this happened however many years ago, people aren't really going to remember what happened at the end. So we'll just kind of put our own spin on it and kind of to keep the story going. I think in the case of scanners though, Pierre David produced and he even wrote the last couple, all of them, all five, even, even the Cronenberg one. So you had one person who was in charge of all of these that was like, I don't care. Just do what you want to do. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, you know, here's a paycheck. Yeah, do whatever you feel like. Okay, what about when a sequel tries to expand on some of the lore and accidentally makes it worse? Like, I love Hellraiser 2, okay? But finding out that the history of the Cenobites, the, our four main Cenobites, really kind of pussifies them in the first movie. You're like, so he's a little, Chatterbox is a little boy. Pinhead is just taken out like he's a, like he's Boba Fett. He's, I mean, he's taken out with one punch basically. It's, 
Hellraiser 2 accidentally neuters Hellraiser, I think, without meaning to. It's still well, sometimes though. it's like the the mystery of the characters can end up being a lot cooler than what the what the film actually tries to tell you, which I mean that we can go back to Halloween for just a second. In my opinion, just Michael Myers being kind of this um you you don't know what his motivation is, you don't know why he killed his sister. He's just like the way Loomis describes it, just evil, pure evil. And that in itself to me is a lot scarier than some guy who's being like a, he's a puppet for some cult. Like that explanation is, is, it's not as interesting as like what we, what we're led to believe in the first few films where it's like, he's just mindless. We don't know why, what, what his motivation is. Why is he obsessed with his sister? Why is he doing this? Why the mask? You know, why that particular outfit? That's kind of scary, especially with it being an older movie and they, they hadn't done a lot of things like that before. So it's, it also felt very original. And then when you try to do this cult spin on it, then it's like, okay, well now this is just some like nineties gothic shit. Um, and it's the same thing with, with Hellraiser, with, with, uh, characters like Pinhead and the, the Cenobites in general is I feel like they're, they're mystique, uh, not quite knowing where they come from, what hell they come from makes, makes them a lot more interesting and what makes the, the first Hellraiser film so bold as, um, as visually striking and, and awesome as the second one is. I, I kind of didn't want to know the backstory of the Cenobites. I feel like their, their mystique is part of what made them interesting and part of what made them very otherworldly and, and scary. Take the mask off of the monster, so to speak. It doesn't really make it scary anymore. It's like you're, you're over explaining things. Whenever you take things, and you show too much, then it's one thing to kind of give hints, if, especially if it's something mysterious. But when you outright say, hey, here's what this thing is, and you explain it, it's not really quite as quite as good because a lot of times the explanation usually sucks it's like you know hey here's the thing you know it, it, here's this monster and here's its backstory well eh, it, it, not it's always not the best. scary not always the best and isn't always all that scary and a lot of times just makes it dumb quite frankly well look at what they did with with leatherface when they tried to explain why he wears skin masks oh because he has a disease Fuck off yeah no how about crazy how about I, he's crazy? Think, how about how about every time crazy. he puts on a face, it's a different personality, like what they did in the first film. That's all we needed. I think every I think face crazy he puts, he puts works on an good. old lady mask, he becomes an old lady. He puts on the, the 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 classic one or whatever, and he's the the slaughterhouse maniac killer. He puts on the pretty woman mask, and it's time to time to sit down for dinner and have a fancy time. You know, that's that made it that's so that's so insane and great. We we don't need to know what he looks like because he. He identifies himself as what his face is. Oh my God, Leatherface is a is a trans icon. Well, well, now we know what he looks like. He looks like uh, one of the boys from One Direction, yeah. and uh, he's really a soft, introspected, uh, hurt teenager Ooh. who uh, who had a facial scar because uh, of of what ha- oh, just that movie just and that's sucks that's why so he bad. smashes people in the face with a sledgehammer and tortures women on meat hooks. Get the. F- out of here oh god it's terrible what a... it's like what they did in in hannibal rising god was that a terrible fucking movie hannibal yeah oh, you, you don't have to explain man fuck you yeah you I don't mean... have to explain why a psychopath is a psychopath and sometimes it works okay crazy in the case, is in the case better. of like friday the 13th 
it's it's kind of um it's it's a spirit of vengeance kind of thing. It's somebody, you know, his his mother was avenging the death of him and then he didn't really die or he came back and he's avenging her and he's kind of this vengeful spirit of Crystal Lake. It's very simple. It works that that franchise in itself has a plethora of of continuity issues though in and of itself. Sometimes he has hair, sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes his deformities are a lot worse. Sometimes they're different. Sometimes his despite match is despite different. most of the films taking place in the 80s, they should be in the 2010s they because each film yeah, takes every, place every film, five years after the to, last one. Every film tends to skip forward about five to ten years, and then uh, which kind of makes Jason X make a little bit of sense. Because it would be that far into the future. When you have a, a filmmaker come in, and in that one especially, every Friday the 13th film, I think probably after the second or third one, almost became its own fan project. Because it was somebody else that came in and started to work on it. And it was like, okay, well, what if we made him look a little bit like this? What if his face looked like this? I, I don't like that he had hair. Let's make him bald. Um, oh, I didn't like these deformities. Let's make that eye kind of lazy. Let's make the other one more normal. Let's completely mess his face up. Let's give him this outfit. Let's make him bigger. Let's make him shorter. Let's make him thinner. Let's make him thicker. It's like he, he would keep changing in each film just to fit that particular filmmaker's narrative. Is though, what I do like about it is, is the continuity that does fit is that he's technically always Jason. We know his backstory. We know why he's doing what he's doing. We understand the motivation and he's, we understand that he's, he's very mindless and he's, he's set in that way of avenging his mother and he's haunting that camp. That's what makes him work. Obviously they, they tried to do changes like that with the remake where he takes hostages. The fuck was that? When you break the formula in that way, I don't know. We can, that that in itself could be a whole other thing. What I'm trying to say there is that when you have a backstory for a character, when it's when it's simple and it works, it's it's good. When you try to go overly complicated with it, like what they did with Hellraiser or hokey shit like Halloween with with the gothic uh, gothic cult thing, or with Leatherface, where oh he was a misunderstood teenager. It's like I will I'll kill you. To me, the one that's currently unfolding as we're recording this is the complete destruction of Spock on Star Trek. Oh boy. Again, we, you know, we have to assume because they keep telling us Star Trek Discovery is in the prime timeline. They have irrevocably destroyed Spock. Now he's a cryy, weepy guy. He fell in love with his own sister. He hates his own feelings and he cries. And it's like, no, Star Trek Discovery has irrevocably destroyed Mr. Spock for me. Yeah. Irrevocably. I refuse to watch that show. That, that show looks unforgivable. It is. Ignoring that part of Spock because I've never watched Star Trek. What is it? Discovery? STD. STD. I've now, I have not watched. I have not watched uh, sexually transmitted Star Trek. So, uh, yeah, no, no, thank you. I'm looking at this just as something I'm not interested in. So, and I, I am not as invested with the old Star Trek as I am with Next Generation. But I know mm. that even with, with Star Trek Discovery, they're trying to get uh, Captain Picard on. And I'm just like, oh, don't don't fucking ruin that, too. Because everything that I've read, I'm just like, yeah, no. I'm not going to watch this show. No. Like, this this sucks. Stop forgetting that Janeway 
and Cisco were a thing decades ago. Like, you know, oh, this is the first. And it's like, again, throwing politics in there. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so like if they just made it and said, hey, here's an, a new captain. Here's some new characters and everything. People would be like, fine. But the fact that they're like, no, this is another this is the first strong female. And it's like, no, it's not. Like, stop. You know, so I would I would probably would have watched it, but then I would have gotten annoyed if they would have made Spock whiny as I'm kind of being whiny now myself. Is it Star Trek Discovery is bad on a level you can't even imagine, Cecil. Really? Star don't... Trek Discovery makes Star Trek Enterprise look genius. Yeah, I didn't hate Enterprise. I thought it just I thought it was like okay. Like it was Enterprise like a, had it had its moments. Yeah, and it was kind of nice to see Scott Bakula as a captain. Yeah, uh, that was cool. As but, the worst captain in all of Starfleet history, but okay. Oh. But you know, I don't I don't know. I think uh I think the the guy in the beginning of uh of generations was was probably <laughs> the worst captain ever. Wasn't that um Cameron. That was Cameron, Cameron yeah. Cameron Fry from uh, Ferris Bueller. Yeah, I think he mm-hmm. I think he's probably the worst captain. When Cameron but, okay. was in Starfleet land. But, but then, okay, what about something where the, the, the first movie is just, it is what it is. And it, be, and it becomes an unexpected hit. So the sequels not only feel they have to explain things that didn't need explaining, but get all boringly philosophical on you, or boringly pseudo philosophical on you, like the Matrix sequels. Oh boy. Because The Matrix was a fun movie. It wasn't smart. It wasn't dumb. It was just, it was. It was a and nice then, little, nice little cyberpunk film. And then there were the sequels. And they are this pseudo ponderous, <laughs> pseudo deep. We are like looking at man's connection with technology, man, and how we're so dependent. What it means to be truly free. What is, shut up! <laughs> the, the animated, uh, the Animatrix was better than the sequels. It was. The that little was really vignettes. cool. That was so cool. And that got me really pumped up. And I didn't hate the sequels. I thought Reloaded was was kind of cool. I liked the fight sequences and all that. And yeah. then I thought Revolutions was where they really... Well, Revolutions was was really just the setup for uh, the freaking MMO that came out afterwards. Like, that kind of got to the point of where, all right, let's see what we can do to alter this enough so that we can have a video game tie-in and make a bunch of money. And then it failed quite a bit. Yeah, it, it took a really cool idea and a really neat thing and made it into this overly pompous... Ugh. Now, the problem was thing with the the Matrix was that it really they they got sued over this, that they took from a pre-existing book and altered it enough to make the Matrix and got sued over it. So the thing is, the Matrix follows this one story that they they took quite a bit, which is why the sequels go so far off the rails, because that wasn't something that they wrote. That was something that they Okay, well, we've got this as a foundation. Uh, let's just do all this other nonsense. And it made it just bloated. I really think that Revolutions and Reloaded could have just been one movie and it probably would have been better. But the fact that they had to like drastically drag them out. They, as, as drug out as Trinity's death speech. That's like a half hour. I was like, all right, well, you, you should just fucking die. You should (laughs) never be watching a movie and start groaning because you want this character, this character's taking too long to die. And like the time when we were, oh my God, I'm like, die, die. Why won't you die? Shut up, die. What about something like, 
were like the Fast and the Furious movies, which at this point I think are actually a soap opera franchise. That character died in three movies ago. Ha ha! But they didn't really die. They only, they, you only thought they died and they came back, but now they have amnesia and they don't remember who they are. And then this character is betraying this character, but he's really secretly betraying this character who's really working for this character. Oh my god, this was a street racing franchise. How did we get to this point? I don't know, but now Jason Statham and The Rock are gonna fight cyborgs. <laughs> and I have to say, I'm, I haven't been in before, but now, all in. You're, you're only all in because, well, Jason Statham. Jason Statham, The Rock, and Cyborgs. And Idris Elba as, as the cyborg bad guy, yeah, because that's why insane. not? Of course I'm gonna watch that. It's, but again, it's, as you said, this, this came from a, a very mild-mannered, well, at, at this point now is very mild-mannered, late 90s, early 2000s, day-glow looking street racing movie with, with some heist stuff in it. You know, they steal some TVs, I think. Yeah, it started. I mean, if you were to watch the first movie and the then first jump, two. no, no, no. Well, I'm saying go to the first movie and then jump ahead to the current movie. You, how the hell did they get here? Like, did I put a triple X movie in and by mistake? Yeah. Well, like, yeah, yeah. If you just watch the first one and then you put on like eight, yeah. like right after, it's like okay, okay. When did this happen? They're they're escaping a submarine. <laughs> like on with cars and a Lamborghini on ice and and the rock like uh, deflects a torpedo with his foot like <laughs> it's like this how the hell did we get from here to there it was all about you know a guy going undercover to flush out some street racers who were also involved in these high you know expensive heists and now the the secret agencies and the government are involved and they're cyborgs and I mean I'm not saying that I'm against it but it's like it's so far removed from where they started it's i it's guess one, ludicrous one bit of credit i can give to it is that they took a concept and they continued with it and they kept adding to it and they didn't do like any soft reboot kind of thing they were like okay we've done this let's expand on it expand on it expand on it and you can see what happens when you keep building on something it has the potential to become a ridiculous thing where they fight cyborgs like it was a very simple plot and now they've taken all these characters they've let them grow and we've seen what it's become am i saying that it's a good idea to let leatherface and michael myers do their thing for 10 movies until they're fighting like dragons or some shit i don't know but maybe it'd be cool who knows it has just become a soap opera. Like, Michelle Rodriguez gets killed, but she didn't. But now she has amnesia, and she doesn't remember her her family or what side she's supposed to be on. And then Vin Diesel's betraying everybody, but he's not really betraying everybody because he's really working for this company who's really having their strings secretly pulled by this company. And then we've got zombie cars, and... Okay, why not just say you're a soap opera for car people at this point? And then and then Michelle Rodriguez became a transgender assassin. Oh, wait, no, that, that was that other movie. <laughs> to me, what... The point where the Fast and the Furious franchise really lost me was the Michelle Rodriguez thing. So wait a minute. We clearly saw her die. She miraculously survived with amnesia. That's literally straight out of a Days of Our Lives episode. It is. And when your franchise starts pulling that shit, you're done. Call it quits. I don't care anymore. Oh, that Okay, you may not care, but it's a billion dollar it's not even a billion dollar it is a multi-billion dollar franchise well yeah they, so, they wouldn't be making this many movies if they, they weren't doing well yeah they all are doing they're all doing levels of well that like each one somehow is topping the previous one so mm. they obviously the more ridiculous they get that's what people are in for 
At this point, they have to I, I do mean, that, too. They can't just make it subtle all of a sudden. Okay, literally every Fast and the Furious movie, the villain of the, of one of that movie becomes the hero of the next one. Jason Statham was a villain, and then he became part of the crew. The Rock was the villain. He became part of the crew. Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell was the villain, and he became part of... It's like, oh my god, this is just fucking ridiculous. It's basically, yeah, it's the Fast and the Furious franchise is pretty much, um, well, I mean, both of these things are soap operas. It's pretty much like professional wrestling in Days of Our Lives, where, yeah, it's even the way you describe it, it's like, who was once the villain before is now working with the heroes now, and there's like, this guy's secretly betraying him, but he's not, he's actually betraying that guy. It's like, these are absolutely tropes in shows like Days of Our Lives, in... um in entertainment, like professional wrestling, like these are a lot of the same sorts of story arcs. And it's kind of, it's what you sort of have to do if you have like a giant ensemble kind of crew and cast and you want to keep it going. Like you, you have to have these like swerves, make people believe one thing. It's like, no, he's actually working for him. Oh no, he betrayed that guy. Well, that person died. No, they didn't. They're back. You, you kind of have to do that if you're going to keep upping the ante on something that's meant to be sort of sort of ridiculous and to get people coming back for more. Because there's no way at this point that Fast and the Furious could just go back to being a simple street racing movie. Like, there's no way. It, it would die. Professional wrestling is just soap operas for closeted gay men. Say is that there's nothing wrong with enjoying a soap opera. I honestly think some episodes of Days of Our Lives are f***ing hilariously entertaining. The whole soap opera for men thing or this is... Who cares? If it's a soap opera with with wrestlers, fine. If it's it's a soap opera with cars, fine. As long as it's entertaining. Soap opera for soap opera with superheroes, fine. Yes, you know? that's what the Marvel movies are, pretty much. Yeah, and exactly, and I don't like those either. But so to wrap up, what do you guys think that that you can make a franchise that's long running, that's a continuity based franchise without? sort of the retcons and the whether you intended or not soft reboots or sort of wrecking the original film is it possible to do this i think usually it's possible to do this if you do the uh if you do it as a trilogy if you have your plan from the start you say okay here's part one two and three then they film them all in order it all fits. It all works. It's all one director's vision. They shoot it all together. It comes out the, you know, the other end and it's all consistent. Consistency is the key. When you start to have multiple directors and multiple producers come in and years between sequels, that's when things start to get off base because different things have happened. Well, this and that's is what's when popular. You've also got like egos butting heads too. You got a new oh, director. Yeah working with the old writer or a new writer working with the director. It's like, well, I've got this idea. No, we're going with this one. No, we're going to do this one. And studio is going involved. And then continuities change. And we end up with something completely different from where we started. Mm -hmm. We end up with, we end up with Jason Statham and the rock fighting, uh, <laughs> which I, again, also, I am not averse to. This might actually bring me back. To yes. Because I failed on Fast and Furious, I think at like four. But this <laughs> could bring me back. With Cecil. Um, and it doesn't even necessarily need to be shot completely in succession. But if you do start something with, with the intent of it being two films or three films, and it's written as such, and you have contracted deals with what actor is going to return, 
what director is going to return, what what the focus is going to be, where the story is going to end up, then your continuity is probably going to be pretty sound. But if you make a movie and then a few years pass and this director decides he wants to continue it, but with this vision or with this actor, then it's it's going to be very, uh, not even very, but sometimes kind of different in its, in its execution. Um, sometimes it can work. Sometimes it won't. Sometimes actors will change. You, you have to have a, a, a vision in order for it to have continuity. And it doesn't necessarily have to have that to work, but this happens a lot where a movie will kind of be a sleeper hit. A few years will pass. They'll decide to do a sequel, but they'll cash in more on the name. They'll, they'll do some mention to what happened before. It happens a lot. R- rarely will you see something, uh, a franchise that has like, a perfect continuity. And when it happens, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I definitely agree though, that it has to start as, as a concise vision of where the next two or three movies or whatever are going to go. I just think you need to stop retconning. Retcon should not even be a word that exists. Retroactive continuity. <laughs> you just should have to deal with what is there. Build on it. Just deal with it. So on that note, where can people find Cecil retconning his whole life history online? Uh, I'm not retconning anything. Well, I mean, I, I have made some alterations to old episodes, but... Uh, George not... Lucas. George <laughs> Lucasing your shit. George Lucasing my shit. I'm, I'm talking about midichlorians. You can find me midichlorianing up at uh, goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. I just thought of a great new underworld for Star Wars. People shooting up, they're like selling midichlorians as like heroin and people shooting up with it. Man, I'm so forced f- right now, man. You know, sometimes you should just keep ideas to yourself. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Where can we find Peter? I don't even have a witty segue. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Places, online places, the, the Twitter uh, at Cinematica, on Facebook, The Cinemasochist, on uh, YouTube, also The Cinemasochist, and on 1201beyond.com, where I'm on this show, there's other shows you, sh- you should watch, buy some of our shirts and stuff too, uh, on Patreon at Cinematica as well. You can find me at 1201beyond.com, contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above, keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Radiodrome is a 1201 Beyond production. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.